Lance was just telling me that when I'm done around 12.30 to call him back up here. <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm so thankful to be here. One, because I love Lance. He is a good brother to me. Has been. One of my closest friends as well. And uh, this church has been a supporting church of ours uh, for... Gosh, I don't even know how many years, Lance. Uh, but I, I wanted to take a moment to just thank you for supporting me and my family as we, we've lived by faith for 29 years now. I mean, when I mean live by faith, like we've just trusted God to provide for us. When I left the FBI back in 1994, we had no idea how God would provide for us. We just knew he was calling us to ministry. And God always provides that what he calls you to. He doesn't provide everything you want, but He provides everything you need to do what He calls you to. And He has for the last 29 years. And you are one church family that has supported us, and we're very grateful. His Light Ministries is nothing more than a nonprofit that allows me to travel wherever God tells me to go to do whatever He wants me to do. Uh, I have the most eclectic ministry, I think, of anybody uh, I, I I do, I'm in Israel leading people on a discipleship trip one week and the next week I'm training law enforcement guys and how to reactively shoot and trying to use that as a platform for sharing the gospel. It's just amazing the things God has allowed me to do. And um, I don't put a box around God except for what his word says. That's the only, you know, he, he gives us his word and that's what guides me. But if he wants me to go somewhere, I say, okay, God, and my wife too. Um, you know, um, he started about uh, 10 years ago, this ministry called SWAT, which is Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. You can go there. And uh, it, when I was on the SWAT team in the FBI, we had a camaraderie there. Uh, the mission drove everything. It's the same in the Marine Corps. The mission drove everything. And when I got into ministry, I found out that the mission didn't seem to drive a lot of stuff. There was a lot of different other ancillary issues that, that prevented people from doing the mission. I mean, when 95% of the people in churches have never told anybody about Jesus, that's a problem because our mission is to be ambassadors. And so uh, we started this ministry called SWAT 10 years ago, and it's a, a men's Bible study where I teach expositorily every week to five groups of men, 20 to 30 men in each group, and just go deep with them to make disciples so they then disciple other people. Um, and you may ask, well, I thought you were an evangelist. I am. I take these men to India. I take them to the Philippines. I take them to Israel. And it's just been a great ministry. And that's one of the ministries you help support me do is that ministry. And, you know, men's ministry is great for me. I have six daughters and my mother-in-law lives with me and we have two female dog, so I need some male bonding somewhere, you know, and so we started this ministry called SWAT, and then uh, about six and a half years ago, SWAT Radio spawned out of it, and you can listen to SWAT Radio if you go to SWATradio.com, you click on Listen Live every day, Monday through Friday, um, we, we take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we exposit the word, and then Thursday, I always have guests. Your pastor's been a guest. I've had a lot of great guests on. Uh, and then Friday, uh, the two of my guys talk about discipleship. 
but it's uh, something that's been going on for six and a half years. We now broadcast in Virginia and Mississippi, Florida, and Georgia. And that's just something that has been something that God started. And, and I told him as long as he provides for it, we'll do it. And he continues to provide. And you guys are one of the churches that helps provide us to do that platform. And we speak the truth. Like your pastor said, this is truth. And this is what we proclaim through the airwaves. And uh, that's one place over the local airwaves right now they haven't been able to cancel uh, is on the radio. So uh, we continue to do that. Uh, as uh, Lance shared, I have uh, five adopted daughters from China. My daughter, uh, that's our family have eight kids. Now we have six grandkids. And uh, if you go to the next slide, we adopted all these girls because they were abandoned by the world but they were chosen by God to bring into the home of an evangelist to hear the gospel. And uh, the two daughters that are here, Abby and Becca, have Down syndrome. They will probably be with us till we die. And that's okay. Uh, God has used them to teach us so many things about ourselves in that process. Our daughter, Rachel, who some of you may have heard about, had a heart transplant when we adopted her. We were told, they told my wife uh, that she had a two, you know, they said she's terminal. You know that, don't you? And my wife said, we're all terminal. Even a dying orphan needs a loving family. So we adopted her. She defied medicine for three and a half years. She had a two-week life expectancy and sat on the transplant list for three and a half years. She finally got a heart, and now she's going on her eighth year uh, post-transplant, doing great. She just graduated from high school, and uh, she's about to get her driver's license, which is a miracle. <laughs> so uh, thank you for your prayers for those girls and for us. And um, one last ministry thing. I told you I lead trips to Israel. I do have a trip coming up. It's a little different kind of trip. We, uh, do, uh, we do a lot of hiking on our trips, so it's not for everybody. You've got to be able to walk five to six miles at a pretty good pace every day. If you'll go to that next slide. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let me go back to India first because India is a huge part of the ministry you guys support. We have a guy over there named Dawa Singe. He was a bodyguard for the Dalai Lama. He's Tibetan, but he's um, from um, Nepal. And he does ministry uh, over in the Mount Everest area and all throughout Bhutan and all in northern India. And during COVID, because of some very gracious gifts you guys were able to give, we were able to provide for them food over there. Uh, they were really struggling during COVID. Uh, go to the next slide. Um, we were able to give orphans over there. They, do a, they got a huge orphan ministry uh, to a bunch of different orphans where they were able to give them clothes and coats and stuff. And then the next, minute, uh, next slide, we do a training center over there that uh, we helped establish. We built a four-story building and we train and put out uh, missionaries, church planners, and pastors from there about 80 to 90 per year. Uh, and all that is because of people like you who believe in training nationals who can best reach their people. And so that's been a, a great ministry uh, for us to be a part of. And again, thank you. And then the next slide. Like I said, we do some pretty good hiking over there. Uh, we have a trip going November 24th through December 5th, um, and uh, go to the next slide. And if you want to uh, know more about it, you can uh, 
uh, get in touch with Lance. He'll give you my email. Or you can, uh, I don't mean to throw that on you, but uh, th- there's, there's about four or five slots left on our trip because we limit it to 34 people because of all the hiking we do. But if you have an interest, I would love for you to go. One of the things that I really want to thank you for is back, I think it was 14, Lance, that you took me to Israel. He took me on my first trip. And I've been going every year since then, except for when COVID shut it down. And I've been leading groups, and it's been one of the best discipleship ministries I've had to take people over there. Lori gets to go with me, and it's amazing. But one of the things that God impressed upon me over there was every day Jesus, when he woke up, because he was Jewish, said the Shema. That's what they were commanded to do, and they said it usually in the evening. Now, we may not know it as the Shema. It's, it's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what I start off, because in their synagogues, they always did this. Before they taught, they would start by saying the Shema. A reaffirming, almost like a pledge of allegiance to God. Affirming their love. So I would like to ask you to stand with me. And you're going to learn a little Hebrew now. You're going to repeat after me. As we say the Shema... First in Hebrew, and then you'll repeat it in Hebrew, but in English you'll say it with me, okay? So, repeat after me, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Viahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Vihol, Lavavka, Uvahol, Navshaka, Uvahol, Meodeka, Viahavta, Lariaka, Kamoka, Amen. Go to the next one. Now say this full voice with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart in all your soul, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Be seated. If I were to ask you what these names have in common, what would you say? Mike Tyson. Gary Hart. Pete Rose. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, Lance Armstrong, Johnny Manziel, Bron Clifford. All these men were disqualified from doing what God gifted them, them to do because of compromise. Every one of them. They love self more than anything else. Men everywhere disqualify themselves because of lack of integrity and conviction. You know, when, when Lance asked me if I would speak today, I was thinking it's two weeks before Father's Day. And ladies, you'll get something out of this today because the principles apply. But it's really for men because we have a shortage of men in this country who are willing to stand when we need men to stand. Paul said, act like men. He said that for a reason. 
Where have all the men gone? You know, when politicians start writing books about where have all the men gone, we've got a problem. The church should be leading the way in men standing, showing the world that we are different. We don't buy in to the culture wars. We don't succumb to the culture wars. And every place we turn, we see compromise. We see people within... Right now, I was telling your pastor right before the, uh, the service that, that there's a big Southern Baptist Convention, one of the biggest conglomerates of churches there is. And you know what they're battling over right now? It's not theology. It is. But it's not about the doctrine of salvation. It's whether women should preach and be elders in churches and pastors. It's whether transgender people should be in doc- or brought in and, and you know, affirmed. You don't affirm lies ever as a believer. We don't do that. It's not unloving to speak truth in a loving way. But we're being told that. We're being basically canceled. If you think it's okay to speak truth to somebody, and even within this Southern Baptist Convention uh, thing, every year they have a lady that comes and speaks to people who says, you know what, we need to use the right pronouns. We need to affirm these people where they are. That's wrong. You don't affirm delusions. We don't do it in any other area. And it's because the the enemy of our gospel is moving in people's hearts to do these things because he's infiltrated the church and the men have been silent. Where are all the men? Where have the men gone? Why are we not standing up? Why are we not meeting together regularly? Why do we think it's okay as men to be isolated We don't want accountability. All these names I read before you, you know why they finished the way they did? They did not have accountability. They thought, I don't need that. I'm doing all right. Many of you don't even know who the name Bron Clifford is. Do you know who his contemporary was? Chuck Templeton and Billy Graham. Those three men started off preaching together in 1945. Bron Clifford was the best of them all. He was the best. But by 1954, only nine years later, he had lost his family, his ministry, and his health. You know why? Because of addiction to alcohol. Because he was financially irresponsible, he left his wife and his two daughters with Down syndrome penniless. What kind of testimony is that for a preacher of the gospel? This once famous preacher who they said was, he was the greatest preacher in American history, they said, died of cirrhosis of the liver at age 35 in a rundown hotel room in Amarillo. It's not how you start, folks. It's how you finish. You know, a recent survey they did said that only one out of 10 Men who start ministry at 21, only one out of 10 finish by the age of 65 in ministry. 10%. They fall away due to immorality, greed, 
And you know, Paul is writing this letter at the end of his life to Timothy. And you know what he's addressing? He's addressing false teachers, which we are, have all over the place. And he's addressing Timothy as a man of God. Do you know Timothy is the only person in the whole New Testament referred to as man of God? And it's right here. That phrase was typically reserved in the Old Testament for guys like Elijah, Elisha, those men. Because it carried with it the idea these men represented the Most High God to people around them. They brought the message of God. And so, it's in the Old Testament, you see it 70 times. But Timothy is the only one. Moses was called man of God. There were other prophets. David was called man of God. Anyone perfected by the word of God called to proclaim the word of God is God's man. Where have all the men of God gone? Where are we? Why? Why do we think it's okay if we're his? See, we have been fed a false gospel. Just like Paul addressed to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you've got to stand against the false teaching. It's time for the men to stand up and start calling people to the true gospel. The false gospel that has been proclaimed in most of America is that it's a forgiveness-only gospel. That it's only about you getting a, a barcode to go to heaven. You get that barcode and you're in there. It was never just about that. It's about the king, Jesus, ruling over his kingdom. You know, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God more than a hundred times when he was teaching. He talked about the kingdom of God, not your personal salvation. Your personal salvation is part of his kingdom work. But you can't limit it just to your forgiveness. And that's what a lot of people have done. Lance knows. We've had many conversations about this. There have been battles throughout the years. The Lordship salvation and all this other stuff. People say you're adding. Listen, nobody knows God's grace more than I do. If you knew my past, you wouldn't want me standing up here in front of you teaching you right now. But it's not about that it's about what He does. And He doesn't come into your life just to forgive your sins. He comes in to give you a new life. Paul says we're new creations in Christ. And so he's writing to Timothy to remind him, Timothy, you've got to fight for this, Timothy. Because there's going to be people that come in, they're going to twist the gospel. And so in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, he lays out our purpose. We're ambassadors of the King. In chapter 2... He tells how we do it. We pray. We spend time with God. We model what it means to walk with Him in kingdom life. Chapter 3, 4, and 5 are about leadership. And chapter 6 is why we fail to do it. Because of love of money and love of the world. And that's where he leaves Timothy. He, he tells him, Timothy, you man of God, you're not like these guys. You're not motivated by greed. And so there's four things, four, four ideas I really would like for you as men to walk away from here. Everybody, really, but specifically the men. One, that God calls his men to run away from the things of the world. Run away from the things of the world. Don't get sucked into the vortex of worldly pleasure and worldly power 
and worldly greed. Run away. Second, we run to the things of King Jesus or or God. We run to them. So we're running from this to this. Third, we fight every day like it matters. Fight every day like it matters. And fourth, be faithful no matter what. That's what we see in this text. And we're going to look at each one of these. First of all, in verse 11, he says, But as for you, but for you, it's a stark contrast with what he was just talking about, about the greed and the cravings of the world, saying some men have wandered. He says, But you, O man of God, flee these things. The word there is the same word for fugitive. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, movie, The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. He didn't want to get caught. We should not want to get caught by things of the world. We run from it. And that's what he's saying. Run away, Timothy. Flee these things. Flee them. I think of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 12. You know, he's kind of at the end of his life and he's saying, listen, I I never did anything wrong to any of you. I never cared about the the wealth and those kind of things. Paul says the same thing in Acts 20. He said, I didn't covet your gold or your silver. I wasn't motivated by those things. That's a far cry from a lot of people in ministry and churches today, I can tell you. You look around there, all you got to do is turn on the TV and listen to some of these people. Some of them have four jets. And I've heard them say with my own ears that I can't fly commercially. And you need four jets to go do God's work? Really? And yes, we can judge a household of faith, right, Lance? Isn't that right? Isn't that what it says in the scripture? Those within the household of faith were to hold each other accountable. That's not judgment. That's just accountability. And we should speak the truth about it. We should speak. But Paul and Samuel, they said, no, we didn't, we didn't live for those things. And Paul's saying, Timothy, flee, run away. I think of people in the Bible who did run away. One of them was Joseph. Remember Joseph? Potiphar's wife came on to him. She wanted to sleep with him. And he said, no, I can't do this against God. And he ran. He ran. Another one was Lot. Lot ran away too. They ran from the things of the world. There were people who didn't run away in the Bible too. You ever hear of this guy named Gehazi? Gehazi was a servant to Elisha. Elisha healed a guy who came, a guy named Naaman came to be healed of leprosy. And and when Elisha healed him, Naaman was so excited, he wanted to give him money. And you know what Elisha said? He was running. He said, no, I don't want your money. I look to God for my provision. And so Naaman said, okay. And so he left. And as he left, his servant, Gehazi, thought, man, I'd like some of that money. He didn't run away. He ran to Naaman and said, oh, my master really meant for you to give him some of that. He got it, and when he got back, you know what God did? He struck Gehazi with the leprosy that Naaman had. That's how serious God takes running away from things of the world for his people. 
There was another guy in the New Testament named Demas in 2 Timothy. Paul said he left me for the world. He left me because of his love for the world. And so as a man today, are you going to be one of those guys that loves the world? Are you going to be one of those guys that runs away from the world? Because Paul is telling Timothy, don't be the guy who runs to the world, Timothy. Run away. Flee from it. I remember there was a guy, one of the mentors I've had, and I've, I've had many road signs in my life. I call them road signs or, or caution lights or whatever you want to call them, where God allows me to witness somebody running to the world in front of me is a warning. And there was a guy who was being mentored, mentored by probably, if I mentioned the guy's name who was his mentor, You'd all know him. He's been on the radio for 30 years. He's a good, good Bible teacher. And he was mentoring this guy who was mentoring me while I was in the FBI. And this guy started running toward things of the world. I warned him. I saw it. Lori tried to warn him. We both tried to warn him. And he lied to us. He lied to everybody that was over him. And this guy was slated to take over the ministry from the guy who's still preaching today on the radio. And that guy did not heed the warnings. He didn't run. And now he's no longer in ministry. Not doing what he was doing. Now he'll be a senior pastor anymore for sure. That doesn't mean he can't minister. But he didn't run. He didn't flee. He thought, I can get... I can get close to, I can control this. And he got enamored with the world and got sucked into the vortex. Well, he also says at the second part of 11, he says, you don't just run away from these things. He says, you run to these, pursue these. And he lays out this list, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Let's talk about those. What is righteousness? Well, the word there, he's talking about not the righteousness of Christ, which we have in front of the Father. He's talking about a righteous living of standards in your life. And um, there's a false teaching that's going around the country right now that says, well, when you come to Jesus, he's your righteousness and you don't have to, you don't have to strive for holiness anymore. You don't have to try to, in fact, to, to tell somebody they need to spend time with God every day in the Bible is legalistic. This is what they teach. These are pastors I'm hearing teaching this. That to call somebody to standards of holiness is legalism. That's not true. That's just bad teaching. He's talking about behavior here in this text. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, when you go, you run away from these and you pursue godly behavior because... It doesn't make God love you more, but you know what it does? It affects your credibility with people. Why would people listen to you talk about following Jesus if your life doesn't look like a kingdom follower? Why? Listen, have, have, have you ever, if you, if you go to a football game, because I know football is huge out here in Texas, right? So if you go to a football game and your team is playing and you're in the stands... And I don't know either team, I don't know anybody, but I see somebody standing up and cheering and I see other people looking sullen. What am I thinking about the people that look sullen? 
I'm thinking, well, that's not their team. When people see us not living out, it doesn't mean perfection in your life, but it's the direction of your life. It's the loyalty of your life. You're under his kingship, and that's what he wants. Like I said, we're going to make mistakes, but we come back to him and we own those mistakes, and we say, man, I have not been following the king. And so righteousness, he says, that's behavior. But he also talks about godliness. That's more than behavior. That's that inner attitude that we have. That's, that's our, it's not really standards there. It's just our attitude. And this is the holiness that we should strive for. Hebrews says, strive for the holiness without which you're not going to see God. We strive for that. That means work. Third is faith. Faith, trust. This is, this is believing that God is who he said he is. He did what he said he's going to do. And he wants us to do what he calls us to do. So we do it. This is not the default for most of us to live by faith. You know what the default is? And I'll give you an example. And I see this all the time. And, and the men that I get to meet with and talk with, I'll say, Hey, uh, why don't you uh, go to Israel with us on a trip? Or why don't you go to India with us on a mission trip? Oh, I can't. I don't have the money. First, first answer is wrong. Who has all the money in the world? Who's the one that provides for all his kids to do everything he wants them to do? So to say you don't have the money is saying, I can't do it. Well, you're not supposed to do it anyway. What should our default be as Christian followers of the Most High God, people who are in the kingdom of Jesus, who are under His kingship, when an opportunity comes, our default should be, well, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to see what King Jesus wants me to do. Because if He wants me to go, He'll pray about it. I had a guy last year, uh, or two years ago, who I said, listen, he was in my Bible study, and I said, why don't you go to Israel with us? I can't, don't have the money. I said, really? I said, you don't have the money? I said, do you know King Jesus? He goes, yeah, I know him. You know, I know him. I said, well, then why don't you ask him? I said, let's just do it right here. Let's ask God right now. How much do you, so it's $10,000. So we just prayed right there. Two weeks later, he came back. You're not going to believe what happened. I, 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 I had this house that I've been trying to sell for the last two and a half years and it sold and I got the money. I got the money because I told him if something happens in the next month or so, you know why it happened. And so he went on the trip to Israel, said it was life changing for him. But see, our default is not to be people of faith. It's to be people of control with our checkbook, our calendar. I can't get off work. Have you asked? Have you prayed about it? You see, we've got to be people of faith. The people of the kingdom are people of faith, and we we trust. Fourth, he says, his love. Pursue his love. That's the agape love. That's That's the love that love God first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. Is it really loving... To tell somebody that it's okay for them as a woman to be married as a woman to another woman. No, that's not loving at all. 
That's feeding into their lie. And listen, I have people that I know that are homosexual, that I've told that, I've talked to them. They still know that I love them. They just know that I disagree with that, and I talk to them about it. But we can't be silent, and we can't not speak the truth because we are afraid of being canceled or people saying we're bigots. And whether it's homosexuality or transgender or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If it goes against God's word, we are people of truth. And we do it with love. It's not loving to affirm delusion, ever. Ever. It's not loving to do that. We wouldn't do it in any other area. If I told you I was a murderer and I really wanted to murder people, you wouldn't affirm me in that. You see, even people who are very progressive in their thoughts have standards. They have their own standards too. They wouldn't affirm that. And none of this stuff works. Go down to the bank and tell them you identify as having $20,000 in your bank account when you don't. It doesn't work in any other realm. It's just this realm. His steadfastness, it says. His perseverance. 2 Timothy 2, when Paul writes him the second letter, he gives him illustrations of a farmer, an athlete, and a soldier because those are men who are persevering. They are men who are dedicated to what they're doing and it requires a lot of work. This life is not easy as a believer. We are on enemy soil here. And so you must persevere. And we do so, he said, with gentleness. Well, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight every day like it matters. That word fight means agonize. I charge you in front of God, he says, in front of Christ. Those are the two witnesses. When I got commissioned in the Marine Corps, I had to raise my right hand and swear to defend the Constitution with my life. And I took that very seriously, and and eight of my buddies that I know laid their life down for this country. And what we have in the kingdom is we have a lot of people that want to raise their right hand and say, I want to be a Marine, but I just want the uniform. I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to let, I want to, I don't want to do the mission. I just want to have the uniform. That's what's happening in Christendom today. People want to be Christians, but they don't want Jesus to be king in their life. You cannot divorce the kingship of Jesus from his saviorhood. They are two sides of the same coin. And that is why we have so many people that unfortunately I fear are going to hear, Lord, Lord, I did this. I went to church. I went to Bible studies. I did this. But no, but you know, I never knew you. I never knew you we got to fight. Paul says our citizenship in Philippians 3.20 is in heaven. This is not our home. Don't get too cozy down here. This is not where we live. It's just where we're passing through. Ephesians 6, he talks about having the whole armor of God. He gives this picture of a Roman soldier who's going into battle. Do you have that mindset, men? Do you have the mindset of every day is a battle? When you wake up, do you wake up saying, I'm his and I'm in the battle today? That's what he wants. Matthew 5, 29, Jesus said, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
That's pretty serious. If your arm or your hand calls you sin, cut it off. This is serious stuff. This is not trivial things. This is serious. Jude 3, he says, contend earnestly. How do we contend? What do we contend against? Well, we contend against Satan and all his attacks. We contend against the world and the things they're doing. We contend against selfishness in our own heart, our own um, you know, desire to sin. And we contend against false teachers. Let me ask you this. This happened to my mother-in-law recently. How many of you have ever been in an argument because of the Word of God? Just think about that for a second. You know, I'm not really asking for uh, an answer, but I want you to think about it. My mother-in-law recently did that. Somebody who is a false teacher, one of, another family member was talking about this person with great affection, and my mother-in-law defended truth. She's in her 80s. She's never really done that before. And she did it and it cost her. It's going to cost you. It'll cost you relationships. It could cost you your job. But who do you look to? Who do you trust? Who do you live for? We live for the king. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I discipline my body that I will not be disqualified. Well, the final thing he says is be faithful no matter what. Why? Because we are his. Verses 13 through 16, he charges him in the presence of God. And he says, Jesus Christ who made the good confession. You know what the good confession was that Jesus made? What did Pilate ask him? Are you the king? He says, you say so. The good confession is Jesus is king. That's it. The good confession is that Jesus is king. He's king. And if we're his, we follow him. And he goes on to, to, to reiterate this, where he says in verse 15, which he will display at the proper time, he was the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an approach, unapproachable light, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Guys, do you give Jesus dominion in your life? No matter what? Well, I'll, what I find is a lot of people will give him up to here, but if Jesus wants him to cross over, nope, not going there. That's too much. I'll give him to here. We're conditional with Jesus. You can't be conditional with him if he's your king. He's an absolute monarch. That means he has absolute reign. We don't like that in this country. We like thinking we have control. We grow up thinking, we have it your way, Burger King. Get it the way you want it. Do it the way you want it done. But he's king. He's King Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to fight no matter what. Luke 9, Paul wrote, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. One missionary, when he was going to this island full of cannibals, was told by the captain of the ship who was taking him and his team over, listen, you really shouldn't go, you really shouldn't go, because you're, you're going to die there. And you know what they said? The captain, that, that missionary said, we died when we got on the ship. We already knew we were, we were dead already. 
You see, when you follow Jesus, you don't have your life anymore. It's his life. He bought us. He owns us. We're his. You don't hear that message preached very much. You don't hear the kingdom of God preached very much. But that's the message Jesus preached. And that's the message Paul preached. That's the message Peter preached. And that's the message I preach. It's the message Lance preaches. You know, my mom passed away about three months ago. And um, my mom, she was my prayer warrior. She was 87. She shouldn't have died. It was kind of a, a, a thing that, that but, but God was sovereign over it. But my wife and I got to be with her the last couple of weeks of her life. And my wife was with her when she passed. But the day before she passed, she had been almost comatose for a week. Like no, no movement, no facial expressions, nothing. And my wife was playing some praise music. She was playing songs like, uh, How Great Thou Art. And when How Great Thou Art came on, my mom, when the chorus would come on, would try to mouth the words, even though she hadn't moved in a week. It was so moving that the hospice nurse who was there just started weeping. And when, when I got there uh, a little later in the day, Lori told me about it. And Lori walked out of the room and the hospice nurse asked me, she said, do you think they know when they're going to pass? And I started sharing my testimony with her about almost dying in a plane crash and how God gave me an unbelievable peace at that moment. And I said, yes, I believe they do. And I believe they know they're going into the hands of Jesus. And I said, what about you, Josephine? Do you know that? And she said, yeah. I said, why do you know that, Josephine? She said, well, I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I've tried to be a good person. I'm not that bad. And she went through the list of things she had done, didn't say anything about Jesus. And so I shared the gospel with her. And there that day, Josephine trusted Jesus to be her king. But what I was struck by is, you know, after my mom passed, we went and we found uh, her Bibles over the years. One from the 50s, one from the 60s, one from the 70s, one from the 80s. In every Bible, she had the plan of salvation written out. In every Bible, she had the date that she came to faith in Jesus. And up to the very end of her life, she was a witness of Jesus as her king. Because when How Great Thou Art came on, she wanted to sing. And help lead a woman to Christ at the very end of her life. She fought to the very end. Fight every day like it matters. Will you pray with me? Father, I know in a a group like this, there are people here who have acknowledge that they love you, acknowledge that they want your forgiveness, but Lord, they may not have been living like you're their king. And I pray that today that would change. I pray that today, Lord, you would 
would strengthen them and renew them to be yours. Fully devoted, fully devoted followers of the King. Lord, that today they would deny their control over their life and they would yield it to you. They would say, you know, I, I've lived most of my life in control, but I want to trust Jesus. I really want to trust him, not just with my salvation, but with my life. I want him to change me. For the thief on the cross, Lord, he just looked at you and said, I want to be with you. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today, they would just call out to you to be their king, to save them, to repent of leading their own life apart from your leadership. They would believe in the grace that you offer them, that there's nothing they can do to earn it. They just trust you with it but then they would follow you as their king. And if you're here today and that's your desire, you just tell them in your own words where you are right now. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the reminder that we are to flee the things of the world, run to you and your things, and fight every day like it matters and to finish faithful. We love you. Amen.